Hey everybody, Matt Norlander here, and thank you so much for continuing to keep up with the podcast in the midst of the long, long college hoops offseason. We genuinely appreciate it, and be sure to rate, review on iTunes, keep us going. Thanks so much. I just wanted to give you a quick heads up in regard to my audio quality with my microphone this week and both with last week's episode. have had a microphone issue on the Fritz. Going to get that resolved in time for next week's episode, but if you were curious as to why I sound perhaps a little bit different... That's the reason. Enjoy the episode and shout out to Calvin Nat. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, August 25th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me in our annual Candid Coaches Series launched this week. Some interesting results already. We're going to touch on a few of those later in this podcast, but I wanted to start with uh, the latest with McDonald's All-American Mitchell Robinson. All indications now are that the super athletic forward and projected first round pick of the 2018 NBA draft is going to skip college altogether. And just spend the next 10 months training for the 2018 NBA draft, which, in my opinion, makes sense given where we're at right now, considering he's withdrawn from Western Kentucky. Because my understanding was always that once he left Western Kentucky after enrolling, taking classes, practicing with the team, he was going to have a hard time getting eligible for this season. Nobody I talked to or with who's familiar with the process thought the NCAA would actually grant him a waiver uh, to play college basketball this season. So rather than take uh, like English and the algebra classes at Kansas or New Orleans that he couldn't possibly care about, uh, why not just focus on basketball and chalk this up to a bungled decision? So Norlander, let me ask you, is this, is this what you would do if you were, were Mitchell Robinson? Would you just train for the draft and skip college completely? Or do you have a better plan at this point? I think if I was him and I was 18 years old and a likely first round pick, I wouldn't go to school if I couldn't get eligible. Uh, because if I, if I think that I'm going to be in the draft for next season anyway, then what's the real point? But I And I know that they're probably still testing their overseas marketability and seeing what's out there. I think I might seriously consider going overseas, making money anywhere from, I, I would guess, anywhere from four dollars to $800,000 uh, with any team that's respectable enough to pay that kind of money because Robinson is a really good talent and would probably be a player of impact. And if I could get that, I would probably chase that option over training behind a curtain for 10 months leading up to the draft. Now, what this will do for Robinson, who I, I'm not as in on Robinson as a lot of other people. Like, I do think that he was, yes, a true five-star prospect and certainly uh, had a chance to be a top-10 freshman. Uh, and I think it would have been pretty intriguing if, to see him basically dominate CUSA. Um, but I think this helps him more than it might help others because there's probably not a scenario barring something going wrong with a physical or barring serious run-ins with law enforcement or anything like that where Robinson will fall out of the top 20. I think you know him not playing is going to help his case to be a top 20 pick. I think right now he falls anywhere between 10, 15, 16, 17 or so. And given that he won't be tested, he won't be put in front of other players – he, his stock might drop just a little bit, but I don't think it'll drop a ton. But I do want to include this caveat in this explanation, GP. I don't necessarily think that that option is the right option if you're a five-star prospect coming out of high school. Because I think if it were to become a trend, if it were something that were to be compounded, and particularly if you were viewed as a top five prospect as opposed to a top 15 prospect, 
I could see where scouts and general managers, if you if you opted to do that and weren't basically put into that position, you might be ding just a little bit in terms of, well, what's this guy doing? Why is he running from the competition? Why is he taking a year off? That doesn't mean you're going to fall out of the top 20. But in my opinion, if you were a top five pick and you did this under your own uh, decision power and it wasn't the NCAA ruling you ineligible, like what was the case with Brandon Jennings and what was the case with Terrence Ferguson, um, I think that might put you in a position where you you might have been the number four pick but by making that decision, maybe you called eight or nine, and that's not a huge drop, but it does it does cost you a significant amount of money. So I don't think the situation should and will apply to any five stars coming down the road. For Mitchell Robinson, who did not want to be at Western Kentucky anymore after his godfather, Shamal Millions, left Stansbury's staff, obviously there was a massive falling out there. I get it. Um, and if you're already eligible for next year's draft, there's no real point to transfer to another school with such a slim, slim chance of even being able to play college basketball this season. I guess I'd say two things. One, I'm not certain, and you might be right, but I'm not certain that um, that sitting out the year voluntarily, if you were a five-star prospect, just saying, you know what, I'm not going to play college basketball. You tell me i got to be a year removed from high school before I can enter the draft. Cool. I'm going to IMG. I'm going to train, and then uh, I'll see you next June. I- I'm not certain that that would actually damage, you know, if – Michael Porter decided to do it, or Marvin Bagley decided to do it, or DeAndre Ayton decided to do it. Maybe, but I'm not sure of that. What I am pretty sure of is um, it's not going to become a trend. Every single time one of these guys doesn't play college basketball, we, we, we go, okay, well, maybe this will be the start of something. It's never the start of anything. Still to this date, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think a single guy has skipped college basketball Unless he had eligibility concerns of right. some sort, I, I like Brandon Jennings was not going to be he he had he had eligibility concerns he just did. Terrence Ferguson had eligibility concerns. They tried to pretend he didn't. They were lying. He did, and, and now um, Mitchell Robinson clearly had eligibility concerns. You know he wasn't going to be probably wasn't going to be eligible to play this year because of the way he enrolled at Western Kentucky and then and then tried to go, was at least considering going somewhere else. So every time it's like ooh I wonder if this will be the start of something. I agree that it's not nonsensical, that it is a path that should be at least explored and considered. But there's no evidence whatsoever that it's going to be the start of something larger where, um, I, I don't know, next year, three top 20 prospects just decide to skip college basketball and train. Uh, it's never went that way. The guys who have decided to go this path have always had some sort of eligibility uh, concern. Even Thon Maker, I mean, let's be honest, uh, like a lot of people were like, is Thon Maker ever going to be eligible? Like he bounced around, had some weird like guardians and like there was a whole bunch of red flags with Thon Maker. And so even he is somebody who was going to have to go through an extensive background um, check that might have been uncomfortable either for him or his handlers, if you will. And so um, I, I don't think this will become a trend. I think it's a one-off story because Rift Mitchell Robinson um uh, and the people around him completely messed up uh, his college decision process. And I want to touch on that for a minute because I wrote a column uh, earlier this week. You can find it at CBSSports.com where I made the point that we've now got two guys, like two consensus top 10 prospects in the past three years who have gone to a college that they otherwise would not have seriously considered uh, based on somebody – close to them being hired at that university. 
First it was Ben Simmons at LSU because Johnny Jones hired David Patrick, his godfather. And then it was Mitchell Robinson at West of Kentucky because Rick Stansberry hired Shaman Williams, his godfather. And my point was um, that if you're certain you're if you're pretty certain you're going to be a one-year college player, you shouldn't be distracted by such or influenced by such short-sighted things. Like who cares where your godfather is? You're going to be in school eight months, and you I think at least, and maybe this is me projecting. Maybe Ben Simmons really doesn't care, but I think I. If I were going to be a one-year college player, I would want to have as much fun as I could possibly have in that one season. I'd want to pick the best basketball situation for me. And Ben Simmons clearly didn't do that. And um, it didn't damage his NBA stock because he was still the number one pick in the draft. But, like, you think Ben Simmons had fun at LSU? Like, I, I saw the documentary. He looked alone and miserable. And just couldn't wait for the season to be over. LSU even denied an NIT invitation because they just wanted the, everybody at, at LSU just wanted that whole thing to be over. Like you, you should be able to look back on your one year of college positively. I I, I think if you're going to be that type of prospect, and Ben Simmons because somebody hired somebody close to him made a decision that did not allow him to look back on his one year of college positively. Mitchell Robinson, exact same thing. Uh, Western Kentucky is a perfectly fine basketball program. I mean, they've got nice history there. They're a really good, uh, for lack of a better description, mid-major program. Mitchell Robinson's from New Orleans. This ain't like he grew up in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Like if a top 10 prospect grew up in Bowling Green and just always dreamed of being a hilltopper, then go be a hilltopper. But ain't no 6'11 projected one-and-done lottery pick from New Orleans ever wanted to play a, at Western Kentucky, B, for Rick Stansberry, and C, in Conference USA, and I mean that with all due respect. And so Mitchell Robinson didn't go to Western Kentucky for the same reasons lots of five-star prospects go to, to certain universities. He went there, um, at least in part, uh, because there was a hire made um, that influenced his, his decision. And ultimately, he enrolled there after Shimon Williams had already left the staff. So it wasn't like he enrolled there under uh, uncertain circumstances. He knew the deal when he enrolled. And then he, it became very clear, like, I don't want to be here. And so honestly, my advice to him once he enrolled would have been just stay there, dominate Compass USA and whatever. Like, this is where you're at. So just make the best of it, if only because you're not going to be able to play at Kansas or anywhere else, you won't get the waiver. Um, but either way, like, he just realized he didn't want to be there at all. And so the point of my column was, like I mentioned, if if you're going to just spend one year in college, pick the best basketball situation for you. Don't be influenced by anything as minimal as uh, my godfather is an assistant coach there. Uh, because there is a scenario where Mitchell Robinson could have had a memorable um, one season in college basketball, I guess, like lead Western Kentucky to a CUSA title and – and, and NCAA tournament berth, but um, he wasn't going to be on TV ever, and it, it probably wasn't going to be as as much fun as some of these other kids going to other places are, are going to have. And Western Kentucky fans took that, and that's really all the column was about. It wasn't like he's damaged his NBA. In fact, I said he'll be fine from an NBA perspective. And it wasn't, listen up, five-star prospects, don't go to mid-major programs, please go to Duke, please go to Kentucky, otherwise you're making a mistake. Literally none of that was in there. But Western Kentucky fans were like irate, uh, I, perhaps for reading comprehension reasons. I don't know. But I just wanted to make the point very, very clear. My issue isn't that a five-star prospect went to Western Kentucky. 
any more than it's uh, that a five-star prospect went to LSU. It's that Ben Simmons and Mitchell Robinson, both of them, went to places they just would not have otherwise, they wouldn't have even considered if not for these hires, and it messed up both of their college experiences. It didn't mess up their NBA prospects. You and I agree. Mitchell Robinson's going to be fine. He'll be a multimillionaire a year from now. Ben Simmons is fine. He's a multimillionaire right now. But why put yourself in a position where, where you don't want to be based on something as silly as your godfather's employed there? Now, to be clear, if you're going to be a four-year player and somebody's willing to hire your dad to do that, and like your dad can make, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars over the next four years while you're in college. Maybe consider that. But if it's just a one year deal and you're going to be a multimillionaire very, very soon, why do you care where your godfather's at? I just what do you make of all of that? I make of it that it's a situation that I, I can't fully understand. Um, Mitchell Robinson was probably is probably a case of being misguided by people around him. Um I don't deny the fact that it would have been intriguing to see him in that league, even if he would have been on TV only but a handful of times. Yeah, and let me let me stop you real quick, and I, I won't interrupt again, I promise, or at least I'll try not to. But, um, again, I've never, like, I'm not the guy who wrote the column when Mitchell Robinson committed or signed or enrolled that said Mitchell Robinson's making a mistake going to Western Kentucky. I was fine with Mitchell Robinson going to Western Kentucky. In fact, I was kind of intrigued with Mitchell Robinson going to Western Kentucky because, like, uh, Bowling Green ain't that far from me. I was looking forward to going to campus to see him. You don't see lottery picks on that campus too often. But with the, you know, once it becomes clear that he withdrew, like left, you know, just in the middle of like whenever, and then withdrew, actually withdrew from school, that is undeniable evidence that he didn't want to be there and he never wanted to be there. I mean, like, think about it. Can you think of another McDonald's All-American who's ever enrolled in college and left two weeks later? It just doesn't happen. He did not want to be there. And so he enrolled somewhere he didn't want to be for reasons that should not have mattered to him. That's the only point I've ever tried to make. Yeah, and the evidence is, is in his actions, basically. And, you know, Shaman Williams was the connective tissue that put him on that campus. And uh, in that, obviously, that that arrangement with Stansbury fell through and now it's like I, I don't I agree with you with what we were talking about earlier GPI I don't necessarily think this will become a trend it is so unusual that you've got a situation like this where you got a top 10 top 15 player and he actually like he got him to enroll which like he enrolled after Williams left I believe I believe Williams was off the staff before uh, before Robinson could have technically enrolled. So he, he won one battle, lost the war. And by the way, just as a quick side note, Western Kentucky will still probably, even without Robinson, be a top three, top four team in that league this year. So they'll still have a chance to get to the tournament. But they're not going to be anything what they would have been with him overall. It's a, it's a weird situation. We probably will not hear from Robinson again after this podcast, barring anything, uh, barring like you know him signing a massive deal for seven months overseas. Uh, or anything uh, untoward, I guess, until we get to May when it comes time for the NBA Combine. So it'll be intriguing to see how this season plays out, and you have all these other freshmen who are going to be one-and-done types who are going to be battling for uh, being the top pick in the draft and then others that are in the lottery and see what Robinson's stock is, how he's viewed, and where he ultimately ends up going in the 2018 draft. Because It should be pretty interesting because he, he is a powerful prospect. There's no doubt about it. Um, 
And I, I do think that this will protect him in terms of being a top 20 pick still. I, I do uh, want to say that once he was in, like, here's what he should have done. Once Shaman left the staff, he should have never enrolled. Right. Or, or once he enrolled, he should have stayed. But if he would have not enrolled after Shaman left, I would have, and, and then wanted to go to Kansas and apply for a waiver, I would have written the column, give him the waiver. Things have changed. It's pretty clear that the only reason he went there was because his godfather was hired. Godfather's not on staff anymore. He doesn't want to be there. Like, let him go somewhere else. We do that with other recruits all the time. Head coaches, um, you know, get fired. They're released from a national. He wouldn't even have needed a waiver, by the way, if he never enrolled. He would have just needed a release from Western Kentucky, which he would have right. got, which he would have gotten, and then he could have gone and played somewhere. So that you know, we can talk about it from a bunch of different angles. You made a, a good point. Um, he's been ill advised um, by, uh, like, misguided by the people around him. Somebody should have sat him down and said, uh, when Shimon left the staff, somebody should have sat him down and said. Or do you want to go to Western Kentucky? And my understanding is like Rick put a lot of like Rick was very present in those weeks, trying to do anything he had to do to make sure he enrolled at Western Kentucky. And it's possible that a 17, 18 year old just like, you know, just like caved under the pressure of you've got to enroll, you've got to follow through, you've got to enroll, you've got to follow through. Um, so like, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to that, or at least aware of that possibility. But if I would have been guiding him through the process, once Shimon leaves the staff, I say, okay, Mitchell, do you really want to go there? If not, we cannot enroll. Once you enroll, you got to stay. So, like, if you don't want to enroll, we'll get the way, we'll, we'll get a release, and then you go open up your recruitment, go wherever you want to go. But if you go there and you enroll in classes, now we're stuck. So let's figure out what we want to the, – the actually, like, worst thing he could have done is enroll for two weeks, go to school, go to, school, go to, uh, go to practice – and then withdraw because then he put himself in in this yep. situation. And again, and we'll move on in a second. He'll be fine. He's going to be a first round draft pick and have more money than uh, the the ninety nine percent of Americans this time next year. Um, but this is a this is a mistake. I mean, this is a mess. Like he should he shouldn't be in a situation where he's going to he didn't want to just no no guy like again we'll go back to it's never been a trend no mcdonald's all-american wants to just skip college and train for a year skip college and go to the nba if possible sure we saw people do that once upon a time kobe uh tracy mcgrady so on and so forth but that's not an option right now and so since that hasn't become an since that's been removed as an option no mcdonald's all-american just wants to sit out the year and train and mitchell is in that situation and uh, it's unfortunate because um, he can't possibly be enjoying what he's, what he's going through right now. Let's move on. Um, you wrote about it earlier this week, CBSSports.com, a three-on-three tournament that's going to take place at the Final Four. I don't uh, guess it's officially tied to the Final Four or the NCAA, but it, it's kind of a neat deal. And I think it, 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 it takes two things that have become popular in basketball to some degree – over the past few years, and and merged them, the 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 tournament, you know, where they take players and let them play for money. The basketball tournament, the bas- yeah, the basketball tournament, whatever it's called. And so you got basketball players playing basketball games for money. Like if you win, you get this stack of cash, or at least a check, or at least a direct deposit, or whatever. And then it takes the three on three thing that Ice Cube has has made popular to some degree um, over the past few months. And so what they're going to have at the Final Four is seniors 
who are not playing in the Final Four. So as long as you've exhausted your eligibility and, and it, it, you know, because your team is, is not participating, your team's not one of the four teams remaining. In other words, every senior in the country who isn't playing for a team that's in the Final Four, um, you can, you'll be placed on a, on a team with teammates from the league in which you played. And you'll be playing for $100,000. It's four players per team, so it's $25,000 per player. Do you like this? Do you think it's going to work? I actually, like, I'm intrigued by it on some level. I love the idea. I think it can and will work. It does not violate, sort of, it won't, as long as you have exhausted your eligibility, then you're in the clear, because at that point, your season's over. You're not an NCAA student-athlete anymore. You're free to make as much damn money as you want. And... It's got good potential. I would make some tweaks to it. So we don't yet know the bracket uh, setup, uh, single or double elimination. We don't know yet the bracket size. These are decisions that are going to be made as we get closer to the start of the season. The entire event is being organized by a marketing company called Intersport. That company is also responsible and has run the college three-point championship and dunk contest, which we never see because we're always there like doing stuff or we're out or sometimes very likely like working into the night. So I haven't seen a three-point championship or dunk contest in a long time, but I know that's something that's aired on TV every year. I've been been to one of them. And honestly, it was when I was back, I was a beat writer. And it was actually my last year on the Memphis beat, and Rodney Carney was in the dunk contest. So I've been to one. It was at Hinkle Fieldhouse. But you're right. We never get to those things. Unless you're working them in the media. Unless you're in the media and working them, you're not there. Right, exactly. But this one... It's pretty intriguing. The question becomes, where will they hold it? And will it be at multiple venues? Because it depends on the number of teams. Um, it's, it's way interesting. Now, the inner sport is going to work with conference representatives to assemble the team. So I, I kind of don't like this part of it. Um, the conferences are basically going to select four seniors from a given league and put those four seniors together and say, here's our representatives. So it only allows four seniors from any given conference to participate. I understand why they want to do that angle because you basically, you know, you probably cannot realistically and logistically pull off having some 132 team field where all these seniors want to compete. So you've got to have a little bit of control over that. I personally think it would be really fun if you put someone from the ACC combined with someone from the Big 12, someone from the Atlantic Sun, and someone from the NEC, and kind of had this mishmash, that might be cool. But if you're going to stick with the conference thing, there's really no reason. There are 32 leagues, so that's that's a perfect bracket size. So there's no reason why you should not have every single league represented. And then from there, maybe it gets pretty interesting, Parrish, because maybe even though you've got these really terrific seniors from the Pac-12 and the SEC that are represented, who knows? Maybe it's it's something where the Missouri Valley and the America East wind up in the final four of the tournament because, hell, man, their seniors got the job done. I think that could be a really cool, really interesting turn of events. Um, I don't think necessarily the big leagues would be automatics to finish in the final four and necessarily win the whole thing. But to me, if you're going to do this, I think it would be uh, it would be wrong not to include every single conference because there, it's 32. It's the perfect number. Right. So I think you do that. You get everyone involved. And uh, I think it has the potential to be really a lot of fun. And um, even if it doesn't add up to that this year, perhaps it's it's a, it's a success in its first year. It grows to something even bigger the year after that, the year after that, and the prize money goes from say one hundred thousand to 
200 to 300,000 in the coming years. It should be pretty intriguing. Um, and yeah, it is on, it is on schedule to happen this year at, uh, at the final four in San Antonio. It just remains to be seen where it will be held. Uh, and if it'll be multiple venues, I would be intrigued enough, I think to attend this in person, uh, in some capacity, just to, it would depend on the logistics of also actually covering the final four. I, I would imagine it'd be played final fours in San Antonio, right? Yep. I'd imagine it'd be played in the Spurs arena, right? I would think so. I mean, there can't, uh, there can't be another place to play it. Maybe UT San well, Antonio. I don't, like, yeah. I don't, like, I don't know. I don't, like, yeah. think about, like, not that it would be this size, and a lot of people listening, most people don't know what we're saying, but, like, think about if there was, like, something half as big as the Cashman Center in San Antonio where you could have, like, four games happening at once, and maybe right. logistically that's how you get it done because you got all these games. It's a double elimination tournament. If it's just the Spurs arena, it's only one game at a time, and how much right. can you really do it? How many people are going to get in a, in a venue like that to see that? So that's, that's some of the questions I have. Let's see what UT San Antonio's arena holds. you want to check that out real quick? I'm going to guess. UNT yeah, that's, San Antonio all right, I'm guessing. Ball arena. Go ahead. My guess is 33.50. It's the, convo- totally it's, out of it. it's the Convocation Center. Did you know that? Not. It's the world-famous Convocation Center at the University of Texas at San Antonio, and capacity is 4,000 people. I think that's where we're going to hold it, Norlander. I think that's an ideal spot right there. Yeah, we're going to put it right. We're going to man the first ever three-on-three Final Four tournament to be held at the historic Convocation Center, the multi-purpose arena in San Antonio, Texas, on the main campus of the University of Texas at San Antonio. It of course was built in 1975. How great is Wikipedia? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do you know what its nickname is? Um. It's well, got, those are, it's got two nicknames. I'll say the the Meat Meat Center. Okay, you were on the right path by going with they were the Roadrunners. It's uh, the 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 short uh, nickname is the Convo. Of course. Hey, they're playing at the Convo tonight, but also hey, I'm going to be at the Convo later. Hey, yeah. hey, 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 girl, what are you up to tonight? I'm going to be at the Convo. But the other nickname is the Bird Cage. The Bird Cage. <laughs> yes, the Bird Cage. Okay. They're going to they're gonna do the first ever three-on-three tournament. I think, I predict, it'll happen inside the birdcage where, among others, Bad Company, ACD, ACDC, and Black Sabbath have all played. Love it, man. Uh, best of those three bands, Bad Company, ACDC, and Black Sabbath. I'll rank uh, them. A- I'll rank them. Okay. And then you, since you're the music expert, you tell me if I'm right. Okay. It's Black Sabbath, ACDC, Bad Company in that order. Uh... Black Sabbath is historically the most important of those three. I think ACDC is the better group versus Black Sabbath. Bad Company, kind of a, a definitive third. That's the only three we got listed for bands in <laughs> that arena. That's all it says. I'm just that's all I read to you the entire Wikipedia page from the from the Bird Cage. That's every. That's all I know. I got nothing else. That's plenty good. I mean, you like it though. I mean, I, this is. I do like it. I, I I guess I'd say a couple things. One, the reason not to do 32 leagues. Uh, intersporting trying to go broke. That's 128 players, 128 flights. (laughs) It's 128 uh, flights. And even if you put two players in a room, it's still 64 hotel rooms for multiple nights. Like Intersport, like they got, they got a lot of money to spend on a great Final Four party. Shout out to Intersport for having a great uh, Final Four party every single year that they've, they've been nice enough to invite us to over the years. Um, we'll be looking for our invitation again. But, uh, yeah, I just did it like 128 flights times $400. That's an extra $51,000, 51200 right there. So it might just be a money thing. Like we don't want to have – we'd love to have 32 conferences, but like we don't want to pay for it um so 
Um, my friend, my old friend, Sonny Vaccaro, the godfather of grassroots bas basketball, he gave me a call. Um, I love it when Sonny calls. He gave me a call because he's always interesting and he's so like still in, in tune with everything and he's got great ideas even, uh, even today. He said, uh, he said, tell me if this would be an issue. It's just something he proposed. He said, suddenly in this world where the NCAA has forever been worried about point shaving and 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 everything else that these amateur athletes could be enticed to 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 not do what it is on sur on the surface they're supposed to be doing now there's actually an, an enticement to not to like to not be in the final four like what if you were under the understanding that man if if we were to lose like we're in the sweet 16 or we're the elite 8 but if we were to lose i'll be playing in that 3 on 3 tournament and i can maybe make $25,000 is that something and, and let me be clear i don't think somebody's going to throw an elite 8 game over $25,000 right. but like it is is at least something like you there is an incentive to lose before the final 4 because if you're playing in the final 4 you have no chance to play for $100,000 but if you're not playing in the final 4 theoretically you have a chance to play for $100,000 at the final 4. That's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? It is and I think, you know, part of this is why the NCAA has no official uh, affiliation with this kind of stuff because you could get into some real murky stuff in a in a big hurry, but it can't stop this from happening because you know, Intersport is totally allowed to do this if it can arrange contracts it's a, it's its own business its own marketing company and if these players are no longer under the umbrella of being an NCAA student athlete once their season ends then there's no stopping them from doing this so um it does present an interesting scenario but the players that are going to be playing in this will be you know top 150 players top 200 at worst players in the sport um and it, it also becomes a question of when intersport and the conference representatives decide and announce what the teams will be. So maybe it's a situation where no one really knows until the Sunday night of the Elite Eight who's even going for sure. And that's one way that Intersport might look to protect the integrity of the tournament. But I, I agree with you. Like I don't think anyone's throwing away the chance to be in the Final Four and everything that comes with that GP. Because that is an incredible experience if you're a college player, like undeniably. Uh, because also, you got to think if you're a top, if you're a top 200 player in college basketball, right? You're going to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars overseas as a professional at the worst. Okay, I think I think the worst case scenario is like you sign a contract for 100 grand playing Australia, Europe, wherever, right? Well, that, so you're, no, are, that's not exactly true. Like, not 200, why not? 200. Like, you think the top 200 players in college basketball every year get up? End up with a hundred thousand dollar contract. So, uh, well, so, so how, so, yes, yes, so, because 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 when you look like the top seventy or so will go to the NBA and, and earn contracts that way, which is different. Which, by the way, would not be necessarily making as much money if you're on a two way deal. I think the the hundred best college players who don't go into the NBA and accept overseas contracts make a hundred thousand plus. I would think. I think I could be wrong, but yeah, I would say that's about about where the neighborhood is. Yeah, Gavoni would know this, but that would be my guess. I'll ask him. I, I guess a hundred, you're 
I think you, you, you're possibly right. 200, I thought, is what I heard you say. If it's 200, that's, that seems like a stretch. Maybe 100, but 200 so, seems. But my, but my ultimate point is sure. if you're already that good of a player right. and you know that you're going to be able to be making money professionally, there's sure. really, really no incentive. I get that. Um, imagine, my only regret about this is that it's like everything else. You, you look at it and you go, okay, cool idea. Like, be good for television in a weekend that's dominated by college basketball anyway. But, like, why did it take till 2018 to get it? Because you realize if we'd have had this back in, say, 2010, guess who could have represented the SEC team? Oh, man. Think about it for a second. I mean, you would have had an NBA All-Star team, basically. You can you have- the Marcus Cousins, and of course, no, it have just been seniors. It would have just been seniors. Oh, just seniors. That's right. That's right. That's right. Sorry, my my mistake. So it would have been uh, would have been Devin Downey, and then who else? It doesn't matter who else. It doesn't matter who else. We'd have had Devin Downey in the birdcage. Can you imagine? 2010, Devin... 2010 it would have not been the birdcage. But yes, <laughs> would have been. 2010 was Indianapolis. It would have been Devin Downey and Eagle Fieldhouse. Are you out of your mind? Woo hoo! Kevin Downey the Hinkle? Legend, legendary performance in a legendary building, without a doubt. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Chester, South Carolina. Shout out to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Whew, I'm going to get my breath. Candid Coaches Series is underway over at CBSSports.com. We've had some interesting questions. Uh, best player, I feel like we talked about the best player a million times. The leading vote getter was Michael Porter. Could have been Miles Bridges. Whatever. Best team, I feel like we talked about that a million times. Who won best team? I don't even remember. Arizona. Arizona, but it could have been easily Michigan State or Duke or Kansas, whatever. Let's skip to uh, one that I thought was interesting. It seems to be the one, at least so far, that's gotten the most attention on social media. And that's where we ask coaches um, if they believe that at the high major level, there's a guy who, quote, does it the right way, who's just clean, clean, clean. And it is worth noting that, I think 8% of the respondents said no, nope, <laughs> but, but, but yes, among my polling, the second most popular, the most popular was Beeline. The number two most popular vote was, I don't believe anyone is totally clean. Right. Okay. So that's worth noting. But in, in, but the leading vote getter was John Beeline and he got 26.6% of the vote. I think second place was, it was Mike right. Gray. It was like 10 or 11%. So this was a significant win for John John Beeline. Did that answer surprise you? Is that sometimes with these, before I even ask anybody, I try to go, okay, what what do I think the answer is going to be? If you would have done, you might have done that as well. If you would have done that with this question, would you have said, yep, I think it's going to be John Beeline? Nope. Who was your guess? I would have thought John Beeline. I, I mean, no, I, yeah. I was, my, my guess was Tony Bennett before we started this. Yeah, I, 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 I knew Tony would get votes. Um, I knew I, I would have probably said Beeline. I knew Tony would have would have gotten votes. Um, I would have most of those guys that got votes. I would have thought got votes. Um, you know, it's interesting that two of the guys that were I think in the top eight were Greg Gard, who's only been at the high major level just a couple years. Uh, Chris Holtman, who's like been at the high major level a couple months. I don't know. Butler's a high major. It is now. I, I take that back. Um, but like he's in the Big Ten now. Um, right. But the, none of the answers surprised me. I, you know what? I was kind of surprised to. I, I was surprised because I didn't. I don't think we got one Tubby Smith vote, and that surprised me because Tubby has a good reputation within basketball circles as far as a guy who like does it by the book. 
maybe to a fault, <laughs> but but like yeah. the, people don't whisper about Tubby Smith cheating. So I was a little surprised he didn't. I don't think he got a single vote, and we had more than a hundred different coaches answer the question. Um, but but Beeline and and I, I sort of wrote about it um, from the perspective of yeah, this makes sense because if only because I've never heard a, another coach whisper even about Beeline, like in a sport where backstabbing is very normal and gossip is common and when you miss on a recruit it's you know it's always because somebody else did it the wrong way or somebody else cheated or somebody else went back door on you um i've never heard that about about john beeline i do think the common thread between most of the vote getters were their high major coaches who win but like don't win with top 15 players you know what i'm saying like they don't like michigan doesn't really enroll too many you know top 15 top 20 national recruits neither does virginia neither does notre dame neither does you know chris holtman hasn't done it yet um you know greg guard doesn't really do it at wisconsin wisconsin doesn't really do it historically i, I did think that was that seemed to be a common thread between um the the eight coaches that got at least five votes each and i believe of those eight coaches four of them were from the big 10 do you make That's anything right. do you make anything of that um, I noticed that, well, when I make of it or not, uh, I think it might speak to the Big Ten recruiting base, uh, players they can and can't get. Izzo, obviously, is on that list, and he, he gets elite recruits. Uh, he's kind of the exception to the rule. He does. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of that necessarily. Uh, what I will also add well, the question, is... The question becomes, is that... Um, a byproduct of just the Big Ten, like it's just a cleaner league, or is it a byproduct of the men who happen to be employed at those schools? Like uh, Greg Gard now has a good reputation. Bo Ryan before him had a good reputation. Um, John Beeline's got an excellent reputation. Um, you know, uh, who else was in there? By the way, also, like, didn't get enough to be on the list, but Painter got a few votes. Yeah, so. So, yeah. Um, I got a text message from somebody who's, who's close with, with Matt and said um, – I'll tell you, I'm shocked that Matt Painter didn't show up on that list. And I told him he got some votes. He just didn't get five votes. But yep. but but Painter, like th- that's another guy who has a great reputation, um, you know, among among his peers. And I actually was I was texting with John Beeline last night um, just because I, um, I I don't know. Like I, to, if I were a college coach and my colleagues said that about me, like that would be a huge compliment, you know. And, yep. you know, because. I think all these guys are all not not all, but most lots. I'll just say lots are constantly looking over their shoulders, like what do people think about me? Do they think I'm cheating? And I just think it, it must be um, gratifying to to understand that you're succeeding at a high level, but also that people don't think you're doing it the wrong way. And and John seemed to be like truly, I don't want, I don't know, I don't want to overstate it, but like humble, like he was he was appreciative of like. Um, he's, he's like, I don't know what to say other than it. That's, that's a really nice thing to hear. And I, I've always tried to, to do things the right way. You know, I, I think he even said like my parents would have never allowed me to, to be any other way. And, um, he is a remarkable coaching story because, and I think most people know this, but like, he's never been an assistant coach. You know, he's not one of those guys who got in at the high major level because he was connected to two players and then, um, you know, he got on somebody's staff and then he became a head coach. And now here he is. He's never been an assistant coach at any level in his life. He came from Division Two basketball, coached his way up, never a hint of improper dealings. And I wrote this in, in the Candid Coaches column. He might be, last 10, 11 years, in terms of high major hires, the guy I was most wrong about. 
because I I didn't like that hire at all. Oh, you killed the hire, man. You couldn't stand that hire. I do you remember me killing it? I don't know if I killed no, it. No, I have no. I don't have any idea about that I, hire. I, I, I just know that when people asked me about it, I was like, I don't know about this. And the reason wasn't because I didn't know John Beeline was great. Like I knew John Beeline was great. I was like, how is a buy the book? As somebody told you, letter of the law, all caps. How's a buy the book letter of the law guy going to be at Michigan? I mean, you got to recruit Detroit. Like, this is the Fab Five. Like, Michigan, to me, historically speaking, is a little bit like LSU, like Memphis. You know, one of those schools where, like, you know, you might need to work operate in some gray areas to 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 succeed. And I was like, so they're going to hire the buy the book guy to, to be the head coach at Michigan? Like, I don't know about this. And he's been he's been awesome. Seven of the past nine NCAA tournaments, two, I mean, three Sweet 16s, two Elite Eights, an appearance in the 2013 National Championship game. The idea that you could go to Michigan, do it, quote, by the book, and still win, like that flies in the face of, of history. And it's, um, and it's just, it's really, really impressive. Like I... Uh, I, I have no problem admitting when I was wrong, and I was wrong about that hire. Not because I didn't think John Beeline was great, but because I didn't think a by-the-book guy needed to be the coach at Michigan. Yeah, I got um, nothing else to add. The other uh, one that the posted today, Candid Coach's question, is would LeVar Ball's presence, or just LeVar Ball in general, would he prevent you from recruiting LaMelo Ball if LaMelo Ball were on the market right now? Obviously, he's committed to UCLA. But it should be noted, there are schools still at least like hanging around because I had at least one coach tell me this. We're going to stay in contact and like, you know, still, still evaluate LaMelo because he's got a long ways before he gets to college, and you just never know what's going to happen with LaVar and Steve Alford. You never know what's going to happen with uh, you know, it, does Leangelo have a bad experience at UCLA? At which point, Lavar Ball says, "Boy, my next kid's not going to play for that man." Like coaching um, Lonzo, pretty easy. Like he's a star, so you just let him be a star. You know, Steve had no problems with Lavar over Lonzo because why would you? You know, he put the ball in his hands and let him go be great. But Lamelo, I mean, Le- Leangelo is going to probably come off the bench at UCLA, be a bit player, and you could see maybe that relationship being damaged in some way at which point maybe Lamelo ends up as a recruitable student athlete again uh, but the question is would you uh would lavar's would lavar ball prevent you from from recruiting Lamelo ball and i was surprised it was about 50 50 because what was your expectation i was thinking more along the lines of 70 30 no like 70 percent of the people saying no, I'm not worried about LaVar Ball. LaMelo's awesome. And, I, you know, if I can get LaMelo Ball, I'll deal with LaVar, LaVar Ball. We deal with dr- dads who are drug dealers, criminals, like all like absentee. Like, we deal with dads who are, like, like you know some of the dads we dealt with? LaVar Ball is the least of my worries. That's what I thought would be the common answer. And in reality, it was closer to 50-50. There were many coaches who said, um, that, like, at least among the people who, who answered yes to me, there was two, two – um, Two two reasons. If they said, yeah, I won't recruit LaMelo because of LeVar. One was, I don't think LiAngelo is good enough. Like, for me, I think he's overrated, and, and I, I don't think he's a team player. I don't think he knows how to play. And I push back on all that. I think, I think LaMelo is going to be great. I would absolutely take him from a talent perspective. And then the other reason, of course, was, um, yeah, I don't want to deal with LeVar. It's a circus. I don't need any part of that. 
and um, and and so those were the, the the yes answers I got. But I thought it would be closer to seventy thirty, not fifty fifty. I thought it was going to be sixty forty, uh, saying I'm not going to recruit Lamelo because his father. So I go on the other uh, aspect with you. I I actually got. I got a few responses that said, no, LeVar Ball would not prevent me from recruiting LaMelo. LaMelo would prevent me from recruiting. I got that too. I got that too. Because I don't, one, I don't think that he's good enough. And two, and to be fair here, there were some coaches at schools that have no shot to land a player like LaMelo, but I said, okay, put yourself in the position that you're at a top 15 program. You can recruit him. They're like, okay, if that's the case, then no. Um, Because I also, he's, I don't like what I've seen from him at this point, and I think he's vastly overrated. A lot of coaches basically said do you that think, man is – Do you think he's overrated? Do you think LaMelo's yes. overrated? You do. I love him. I do. I know you love him. I think he is overrated. I don't think he's a point guard. I want to play him off the ball. But I think if you get him in college and play him off the ball, he's going to be awesome. Let, let me reassess next summer. But as of right now, I think he is overrated. That doesn't mean I don't think he'll be a good – player as a freshman in college I think he can very much be that but there is there are people out there that think he's like a top three high school point guard prospect right now I don't agree with that assessment I think he's a uh, top five he just turned 16 but like, yeah just yeah but back up a week ago when he was 15 I think he was a top five 15 year old in the country yeah um we'll see let's let's just see how he grows in a year uh next summer where he is and then we'll definitely reassess the other aspect though where a lot of coaches uh said i just i don't want to have to deal with lavar ball being around my program and you know the distractions or the questions that would be endlessly coming toward me i've got zero interest in that whatsoever one one assistant coach at a top 15 program told me that he was talking in July on the recruiting trail, I think in Vegas, uh, to his head coach. So the head coach at a top 15 program said, that boy, referring to Lamella, he goes, that boy better be better than Jordan if I'm ever going to have to deal with that. <laughs> so there is definitely uh, there's definitely an impact here that LeVar Ball has had, uh, just in terms of a lot of coaches are really turned off by him and all that he said and what he has done. And I totally get it. Um, and then as a preview for podcast listeners, we will have a part two, I won't spoil what the topic is, but we did induce coaches to answering two questions, LeVar Ball related. This one on Monday is a little bit of a different twist. Um, I'm interested to see how those votes come back as well, but the, there was no shortage of quotes on either LeVar Ball topic. A lot of, some coaches like, I don't, I'm not actually one coach refused. I had him on the phone. He refused to answer the question because I, I asked him, you know, with LeVar, he goes, I refuse to give that man any time or any attention. I said, okay, well, here's the next one. And he answered the exact same way after that. So there were a couple of coaches that were like, dude, I don't even want to talk about that guy. But for the most part, um, I think this question and the Carolina-Louisville question, which ran on Wednesday. Oh, yeah, that uh, was a good one, too. Um, I was surprised those, by those, that. Those, yeah, those induced the, the, the most diatribes, the longest responses from all the coaches. They clearly just had opinions just wanting to get out. Yeah, and here's the thing with that question, though. I'm glad we did it because it was interesting, and I like I did radio interviews about it. You did radio interviews about it. But here, I don't think coaches, like the majority of them, understand the process. Like I don't think they understand how the NCAA works. Like um, 
I was on with Bob Valvano. I think you were too, um, in Louisville. And he was reading one of the quotes. And I think it's a quote maybe that a coach gave you. He certainly didn't come to me. But the coach said something along the lines of, look who's in charge at Louisville. Like, like look at, you know, look at Rick's personal life. Um, you've got to, you've got to strip them. And I like, I like, that's a good quote. I'm, I'm glad we used it, but like Rick's personal life got nothing to do with, with this at all. And it, nor should it. And so I, I, I just think I, I got the sense from reading the quotes that I got from coaches and the quotes that you and Reed Forgrave got from coaches that they don't all have a good grasp on these cases. Like we have read more about North Carolina and read more about Louisville's case than these coaches have. I don't think coaches follow those things nearly as closely as we do. Yeah. Um, some coaches have, a lot of coaches haven't, uh, plenty of coaches who haven't said basically they offered nothing. Like they just offered nothing worth, uh, keeping quote wise because, well, actually let me say it like this. The Louisville case, I got the sense a lot of coaches have all the basics, have read up on it, understand it, had a clear opinion. Yes or no. Why not? North Carolina, I'd say, I'd say probably about 15 to 20% of the coaches I spoke with had a fairly good grasp on the timeline of what's happened at Carolina and what did or didn't go down, offered up reasons one way or another why they think the NCAA will or will not remove the title from Carolina. And then, admittedly, there were definitely a batch of quotes that came from coaches that were good quotes, uh, but I think some perhaps a little misguided. But there's definitely a ton of cynicism out there about the NCAA and how it may or may not really it, how it may not strip uh, Carolina of any titles given the, the academic stuff that it's, that's undergoing right now. I think you're right. Um, but there are some coaches that definitely knew what they were talking about. And so you're hitting it, but it's not all coaches, but there definitely is. I'd say more than half the coaches I talked to, I don't think we're as up to snuff on the NCAA process and the details of the Carolina right. case. Not that as, they, as they should have been, because it's not like they should be. But they as we needed them to be to make intelligent to provide intelligent answers. Right. At at the end of the day, they, you know, well, more than half think that Louisville is going to lose its title and 20 percent think that Carolina is going to lose one of its two titles. I think if you're putting percentages on it, I'd go even higher on Louisville. But Carolina, I think I think that might be ultimately probably the right percentage point at this point in terms of how likely Carolina is to lose the title. I mean, we'll see. But uh but yeah, plenty and a lot of guys. GP, a lot of guys had some some bad stuff to say about Patino, um, and I think they're frustrated because they know that if they were in that position, they would be canned automatically. And given what Patino's had in, in the past, um, I think I, I don't I don't know if it's jealousy, so to speak. But, uh, but there were some guys, man, and yeah. these were guys that were at letter at like top 40, top 30 programs that had some some rough stuff to say about him and just basically say, think that he has no business even having a job anymore um, and just think that he's been able to, uh, to use his power uh, and his relationship at Louisville to kind of stay on there. So No, here's what I would say to that. It, it's, I talked to Bob about, uh, Vavano about this the other day as well. It's not Patino using his power. Those coaches are correct that if they ex- had the same past however many years as Rick – on their Wikipedia page, they would be canned. Like when coaches say that to you and they say that to me, God, if I did what Patino did, I would be fired. I always say, you're, you're exactly right. If you did what Rick Patino did, you would be fired. You want to know why? 
you're not as good at your job as Rick Pitino is. Rick Pitino isn't using his power to keep his job, other than his power is to be an amazing college basketball coach. Like, like Louisville sells out every game in the Yum Center. Uh, the revenue is through the roof. They're basically top ten every year, including this season. Um, Rick Pitino's kept his job. He survived the personal stuff and the NCAA scandal because he's awesome at his job. That is the only reason. And guess what? Maybe a lesson there for everybody in all walks of life. How great you are at your job um, is 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 a a direct link to how likely you are to be able to overcome other things. Um, like Ryan Rossillo just got in trouble at ESPN, right? I mean, I don't know if he got in trouble at ESPN. We'll see. But like he was found basically nude in a place where he shouldn't have been found, passed out drunk. Um, and I don't mean to make light of it. Like he just, he got, he drank a lot the way people do sometimes. I, I've done that myself. I've never ended up naked in a place I shouldn't have been. Um, well, maybe I've ended up naked in a place I shouldn't have been, but like not in somebody's apartment where I wasn't invited. <laughs> so, You're always invited to my apartment. <laughs> so, so like, um, we'll see like if he can survive that. I don't know. But my point is, if Ryan Rosillo were Scott Van Pelt, not that not that SVP would ever do this. I'm sorry, Scott. I'm not. I'm just hypothetical here. But like Scott Van Pelt would not get fired over this because he's incredibly awesome at you know, at what he does and he, he's well liked throughout the industry. This would just be chalked up as an embarrassing moment. Ryan is, is very good on radio. Like I like Ryan, um, but like he's probably less important to the, to the enterprise as, as Scott and Van Pelt, Van Pelt is. And so he might not be able to, to survive this. We'll see, but it's always a direct relation to, Hey, can, can you keep your job when other guys might lose it? If the answer is yes, it's probably because you're awesome at your job. You know, why can Charlie Sheen keep that two-and-a-half-men job as long as he did? Now, he ultimately lost it. But why could he keep it as long as he did, despite, like, having Coke parties every weekend? Because he was because he's a, he, he brought ratings. He was awesome at that job. I don't know whether you like that show or not. I never watched it. But, like, in every way you measure success, ratings and advertising dollars, he was awesome at that job. Who's the guy that played Batman in the Christopher Nolan series? Christian Bale. Why can Christian Bale just fuck like freak out on set and like be a maniac and still get get a roles in movies because he's awesome at his job, right? I mean, he's an unbelievable actor, and so yeah, like if you're a bit guy on set on a movie set somewhere and you're constantly flipping out, yelling at everybody, you can't keep your job anymore. Uh, but Christian Bale, he can keep his job, and Rick Pitino, Rick Pitino's Christian Bale. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Um, and okay, so, I dig it. Yeah, I mean, do you? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, Rick yeah. Pitino keeps his job because he's awesome. You know, it it is like it, I've actually had this conversation with Donnie Tyndall. Like, Donnie Tyndall's like, I'm not. You know, my last name's not Patino. So, like, you know, I I'll they'll they'll whack me quickly. Uh, but he's exactly right. He's not Rick Pitino, and so and and so I don't I don't I push back on that when coaches are like Rick uses his power. The only power Rick's got is being awesome at his job. Period. End of, end of story. So if you want to read the Canada Coaches series, um, we've got a question going every day, a new one, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So the next one will be on Monday, and we'll have them all five days next week. I think you'll enjoy it. You can find that, of course, at cbssports.com. Big, big weekend, Norlander. You ready? I'm ready. Mayweather-McGregor tomorrow night. Game of Thrones finale on yeah. Sunday night. MTV True. Video Music Awards. It, that's nothing, but yeah, okay. 
dude, it's, it, see, award shows, ah, award uh, shows are great because you, it's like, it's a great live tweeting experience. I, love I understand award that, shows. but the VMAs haven't been relevant for like 15 years. So. Of, co- of course they're relevant. Of course they're relevant. Yeah, if you're, if you're on 17 year old Twitter, sure. No, uh, so have, oh, it's, have fun it, in that world. no, it's also adult Twitter. Don't be a nerd. It's adult no, Twitter. If you like the VMAs, I think that's the, the kingdom of nerddom right there. No. Merging with Game of Thrones Twitter, which I will be all in on. Yes. I finally got like you. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm all caught up. I'm all caught up. And then, and then I hated last week's episode. Uh, all right. So hold on. A few quickies here. All right. So I got to play a gig on Saturday. It goes till midnight Eastern. So I think I, I think I will have to. I have two options. One, I have a buddy that's good, that lives probably 15 minutes away from where the – the gig is so I, I gotta see if I can go to his house after the show. If I can get there in time, what time do we think the fight is gonna start Eastern time? Like twelve fifteen. I would think that's a good estimation. Like I would put the bell rings twelve sixteen Eastern. Okay, so if that's the case, hopefully I'm in I'm in a good spot. Because if but if that's not an option, I think I'm literally gonna be in a parking lot searching for Periscope streams right. to watch the stage. To watch this damn fight, um, so we'll see how that goes down. And then uh, I had a as- dream. I had a dream last night, by the way, that Mayweather knocked him out in 27 seconds. I don't think that's what will really happen, but I did have that dream. Uh, actually, yeah, we'll hold off Thrones for one quick second here. I am. I know you're a bit, you're a much bigger boxing guy than I am. Um, I am only interested in this fight basically because I want to see if Conor McGregor can even last like two rounds. I I, I don't get the sense that like he should have any business. I know that he is such an accomplished uh, mixed martial artist fighter, and he's had a lot of success in UFC and all that. And he is, uh, he's basically been an unparalleled story in, in terms of UFC, and that is a sport that kind of gives you a new star annually, but there's been no one that's ever been like McGregor. Um, but boxing is a way different thing, and Floyd, from a technical standpoint, has a case to be a top-five boxer ever, so I just don't understand how McGregor has any sort of shot to last six rounds, let alone win the fight or go 12 to a decision. But maybe I'm way wrong. I, I, I just want to see if he can last two. That's my primary motivation uh, for the fight. What's, what's your – I mean, what's pulling you to watch this? Well, I've bought every Floyd Mayweather fight for like the past 10 years, um, probably longer. Like I, 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 yeah, So I like – Floyd Mayweather can fight anybody, and I'd be there for it. So um, – but I'm like – I do think this is a lopsided mismatch, and it'll be evident within one minute of the bell ringing. Like you'll notice it in hand speed. You'll notice it in in every way you can notice such things. Like if you've ever watched a boxing match where it becomes very clear, oh, this guy doesn't belong in the ring with this other guy. That's going to be obvious pretty quickly, I think. Um, I, I'm, but like whatever, I'm there for the spectacle. Like, I'm there for Connor walking into the ring. I'm there for Floyd walking into the ring. I'm there for the scene, period. And then um, I, I'm interested to see what Connor does because though one of his managers told Yahoo Sports, I think, yesterday that Connor is going to win by outboxing Floyd Mayweather. I mean, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> like, you cannot, you know, you can't. Floyd Mayweather been a professional boxer who's barely been hit for more than two decades. Uh, Connor McGregor been been boxing for like three months like this is my uh, on paper this might be the biggest high profile mismatch in the history of the sport gotta be it's gotta be he's it's a 49 and 0 fighter against a 0 and 0 fighter 
I mean, what are we talking about? What are we even talking about? Exactly, dude. Um, and yet, and yet, the money has come in on McGregor for two reasons, for three reasons. One, you got to put down a lot on Mayweather to win. That's so. one. That is one, and that might be the, the biggest. Um, but two, there are people who genuinely love Conor McGregor. There aren't really people who genuinely love Floyd Mayweather. Like there are people who like enjoy him as a boxer, but like Floyd Mayweather doesn't have this huge, massive fan club. Um, so there, but there, but McGregor does, and so those people they they're betting on the guy, and. And while Floyd doesn't have a huge fan club, he does have a huge club of people who hate him. And those people are putting down their money because they want it. It's an easier bet on McGregor because you don't have to you put down a little to win a lot. And then you can put it down on the guy you want to see lose or put it down on the guy you want to see win. That, that Both those bets are McGregor. The sharp bettors are coming in now, apparently, and like laying big money on Mayweather. Like they got it down below, you know, they got it down below, below minus 500. So you get it like minus 470, minus 450. In some places, it was as low as minus 400. And now, I think I saw last night, there were $2 million bets made. Like somebody putting down a million to win 250000 on Floyd or a million to win 200000 on Floyd. And I, I think ultimately, whether it's two rounds, three rounds, I do not think it goes the distance. I mean, being in a boxing ring for 36 minutes with Floyd Mayweather, when you've never been in an octagon for 36 minutes with anybody, so you're going to get tired, and, and you've never boxed, professionally before it's just a different deal and so i i I think i don't i don't know that floyd gets a 10 count but at some point whether it's third round fourth round fifth round sixth round seventh round somewhere in there somebody's going to step in and stop the fight because yeah floyd's going to pop him so many times and and he's just going to and and connor's going to get tired and he's eyes going to swell He's not going to be able to see what he couldn't stop anyway. And it's just going to – it'll be a, a situation where either the corner or the ref, the doctor steps in and says, we can't let you keep taking this punishment. Like the CompuBox numbers will be like, Floyd Mayweather landed 47,000 punches last round and Conor McGregor landed one. Like it's going to get that lopsided. And so um, – but I can't wait. Like I cannot wait. It's going to be a spectacle and I'm all in. And then, of course, Game of Thrones on Sunday. I'm all caught up now. You are. I'm, I'm Team Cersei. I love Cersei so much. No, get out of here. I, lo- I, I love Cersei. Does that make me a weirdo? It does. That's terrible. I'm Team Cer- I'm Team Cersei, man. I want her. I want everybody to die at the hands of Cersei Lannister. Terrible, terrible. All right. Well, how about this? We, we've already run long here. Let's let's save all Thrones for next week. We can uh, connect the penultimate episode with the ultimate episode and give an end of podcast review a little bit of talk on that that'll also give any listeners who perhaps i don't know why you would have waited until friday or saturday before the finale to watch the most recent episode but we won't spoil anything for you and then uh, we'll hit on that next week we can so, definitely recap thrones season six see what happens i do i will say this just a, a non-spoiler prediction here i don't think the finale will have one fifth of the action that the episode that just happened I think this will be a move the pieces, potential some action near the end, and then a cliffhanger going into next season. All I want is Cersei to grow her hair back out. That's all I'm after. I don't know if you're going to get that, my man. Man, just Cersei, grow that hair back out, and we are good to go. I'm Team Cersei for life. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. Please do that. Thank you for listening. We're going to be back next week. Got more candid coaches questions on the way, like I said. We'll discuss them here. Till then. Take care.